Chapter Nineteen of Tristan Shandy, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julie von Wallachem. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, Volume One, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter Nineteen. I would sooner undertake to explain the hardest problem in geometry than pretend to account for it, said a gentleman of my father's great good sense, knowing, as a reader must have observed him, and curious too, in philosophy, wise also in political reasoning, and in polemical, as he will find, no way ignorant, could be capable of entertaining a notion in his head so out of the common track, that I fear the reader, when I come to mention it to him, if he is the least of a choleric temper, will immediately throw the book by. If mercurial, he will laugh most heartily at it. And if he is of a grave and saturnian cast, he will, at first sight, absolutely condemn as fanciful and extravagant. And that was in respect to the choice and imposition of Christian names, on which he thought a great deal more depended than what superficial minds were capable of conceiving. His opinion in this matter was, that there was a strange kind of magic bias, which good or bad names, as he called them, irresistibly impressed upon our characters and conduct. The hero of Cervantes argued not the point with more seriousness, nor had he more faith, or more to say on the powers of necromancy in dishonouring his deeds, or on Dulcinea's name in shedding lustre upon them than my father had on those of Trismegistus, or Archimedes, on the one hand, or of Nikai and Simkin on the other. How many Caesars and Pompeys, he would say, by mere inspiration of the names, have been rendered worthy of them! And how many, he would add, are there who might have done exceedingly well in the world, had not their characters and spirits been totally depressed, and Nicodemused into nothing? I see plainly, sir, by your looks, or as the case happened, my father would say that you do not heartily subscribe to this opinion of mine, which to those, he would add, who have not carefully sifted it to the bottom, I own has now more of fancies than of solid reasoning in it. And yet, my dear sir, if I may presume to know your character, I am morally assured I should hazard little in stating a case to you, not as a party in the dispute, but as a judge and trusting my appeal upon it to your own good sense and candid disquisition in this matter. You are a person free from as many narrow prejudices of education as most men, and if I may presume to penetrate further into you, of a liberality of genius above bearing down an opinion, merely because it wants friends, your son, your dear son, from whose sweet and open temper you have so much to expect, your Billy, sir, would you for the world have called him Judas? Would you, my dear sir, he would say, laying his hands upon your breast, with the genteelest address, and in that soft and irresistible piano of voice, which the nature of the argumentum ad hominem absolutely requires, would you, sir, if a Jew of a godfather had proposed the name for your child, and offered you his purse along with it, would you have consented to such a desecration of him? Oh, my God! he would say, looking up, 
"'If I know your temper right, sir, you are incapable of it. You would have trampled upon the offer. You would have thrown the temptation at the tempter's head with abhorrence. Your greatness of mind in this action, which I admire, with that generous contempt of money which you show me in the whole transaction, is really noble, and what renders it more so is a principle of it, the workings of a parent's love upon the truth and conviction of this very hypothesis, namely, that was your son called Judas, the sordid and treacherous idea so inseparable from the name, would have accompanied him through life like his shadow, and in the end made a miser and a rascal of him, in spite, sir, of your example. I never knew a man able to answer this argument. But indeed, to speak of my father as he was, he was certainly irresistible, both in his orations and disputations. He was born an orator. Theodidactos, persuasion, hung upon his lips, and the elements of logic and rhetoric was so blended up in him, and withal he had so shrewd a guess at the weaknesses and passions of his despondent, that nature might have stood up and said, This man is eloquent. In short, whether he was on the weak or the strong side of the question, does hazardous in either case to attack him. And yet it's strange he had never read Cicero, nor Quintilian de Oratore, nor Isocrates, nor Aristotle nor Longinus amongst the ancients, nor Vossius, nor Scioppius, nor Ramus, nor Farnaby amongst the moderns. And what is more astonishing, he had never in his whole life the least light or spark of subtlety struck into his mind by one single lecture upon Krakenthorpe, or Burgess dishes, or any Dutch logicians or commentator. He knew not so much as in what the difference of an argument ad ignorantium, and an argument ad hominem consisted, so that I well remember, when he went up along with me to enter my name at Jesus College in blank, it was a matter of just wonder with my worthy tutor and two or three fellows of that learned society, that a man who knew not so much as the names of his tools should be able to work after that fashion with him. To work with him in the best manner he could was what my father was. However, perpetually forced upon. For he had a thousand little sceptical notions of the comic kind to defend, most of which notions, I verily believe, at first entered upon the footing of mere whims, and of a vive la bagatelle, and as such he would make merry with them for half an hour or so, and having sharpened his wit upon them, dismissed them till another day. I mention this not only as matter of hypothesis, or conjecture upon the progress and establishment of my father's many odd opinions, but as a warning to the learned reader against the indiscreet reception of such guests, who, after free and undisturbed entrance for some years into our brains, at length claim a kind of settlement there, working sometimes like yeast, but more generally after the manner of the gentle passion beginning in jest, but ending in downright earnest. Whether this was a case of the singularity of my father's notions, or that his judgment at length became the dupe of his wit, or how far in many of his notions he might, though odd, be absolutely right, the reader as he comes at them shall decide. 
all that I maintain here is that in this one, of the influence of Christian names, however it gained footing, he was serious. He was all uniformity. He was systematical. And like all systematic reasoners, he would move both heaven and earth, and twist and torture everything in nature to support his hypothesis. In a word, I repeated over again, he was serious, and in consequence of it, he would lose all kind of patience whenever he saw people, especially of condition, who should have known better, as careless and as indifferent about the name they imposed upon their child, or more so than in the choice of Ponto or Cupid for their puppy-dog. This, he would say, looked ill, and had, moreover, this particular aggravation in it, the delicate, that when one's vile name was wrongfully or injudiciously given, does not like the case of a man's character which, when wronged, might hereafter be cleared, and possibly some time or other, if not in a man's life, at least after his death, be somehow or other set to rights with the world. But the injury of this, he would say, could never be undone. Nay, he doubted even whether an act of Parliament could reach it. He knew, as well as you, that a legislator assumed a power over surnames, but for very strong reasons, which he could give, it had never yet adventured, he would say, to go a step further. It was observable that, though my father, in consequence of this opinion, had, as I have told you, the strongest likings and dislikings towards certain names, that there were still numbers of names which hung so equally in the balance before him, that they were absolutely indifferent to him. Jack, Dick, and Tom were of this class. These my father called neutral names, affirming of them without a satire, that there had been as many knaves and fools, at least, as wise as good men, since the world began, who had indifferently borne them, so that, like equal forces, acting against each other in contrary directions, he thought they mutually destroyed each other's effects, for which reason he would often declare he would not give a cherry-stone to choose amongst them. Bob, which was my brother's name, was another of these neutral kinds of Christian names, which operated very little either way. And as my father happened to be at Epsom when it was given him, he would oft-times thank heaven it was no worse. Andrew was something like a negative quantity in algebra with him. That's worse, he said, than nothing. William stood pretty high. Nums again was low with him, and Nick, he said, was the devil. But of all the names in the universe, he had the most unconquerable aversion for Tristram. He had the lowest and most contemptible opinion of it of anything in the world, thinking it could possibly produce nothing in rerum natura but what was extremely mean and pitiful. So that in the midst of a dispute on the subject, in which, by the by, he was frequently involved, he would sometimes break off in a sudden and spirited epiphenema, or rather aratesis, raised a third and sometimes a full fifth above the key of the discourse, and demanded, categorically of his antagonist, whether he would take upon him to say he had ever remembered, whether he had ever read, or even whether he had ever heard tell of a man called Tristram performing anything great or worth recording. No, he would say, 
Tristram, this thing is impossible. What could be wanting in my father but to have wrote a book to publish this notion of his to the world? Little booted to the subtle speculist to stand single in his opinions, unless he gives them proper vent. It was the identical thing which my father did, for in the year sixteen, which was two years before I was born, he was at the pains of writing an express dissertation simply upon the word Tristram, shewing the world, with great candour and modesty, the grounds of his great abhorrence to the name. When this story is compared with the title-page, will not the gentle reader pity my father from his soul, to see an orderly and well-disposed gentleman, who, though singular, yet inoffensive in his notions, so played upon in them by cross-purposes, to look down upon the stage and see him baffled and overthrown in all his little systems and wishes, to behold a train of events perpetually falling out against him, and in so critical and cruel a way, as if they had purposely been planned and pointed against him, merely to insult his speculations, in a word, to behold such a one in his old age, ill-fitted for troubles, ten times in a day suffering sorrow, ten times in a day calling the child of his prayers, Tristram, melancholy to syllable of sound, which to his ears was unison to nincompoop, and every name vituperative under heaven. By his ashes I swear it, if ever malignant spirit took pleasure or busied itself in traversing the purposes of mortal man, it must have been here, and if it was not necessary I should be born before I was christened, I would this moment give the reader an account of it. End of chapter 19